0: Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis, and welcome to another episode of the new and improved Chase Jarvis Live Show. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and unpack actionable, valuable insights to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and in life. My guest today is the Seth Godin, Seth. An incredible human He's an author of 18 Count them 8 No, I don't want to count to 18 Anyway, 18 best-selling books These are books that I have all I've read entirely Cover to cover Numerous times Books like The Purple Cow Lynchpin Tribes The Dip These are all books That have been massively influential In getting my career off the ground He is a guru on marketing For years and years and years And still to this day He puts out a blog post a today And it is His blog is the number one Numero uno Number one marketing blog on the internet, which is, that's some serious credentials there. He is an entrepreneur where he's sold companies to Yahoo, uh, and his current focus is on this thing called the Alt-MBA, which is really his own private school where, gosh, something like 40,000 people apply, and he takes 25 of them, and he he puts you through basically the Seth Godin school, and ultimately creates really, really high-powered thinkers. One of the things that I love best about Seth is that he's one of these guys who, when he He says something. It's like he throws lasers out there. You know, he says something and we've all thought these things, but Seth puts it in a way that's so clear and so direct and it just makes sense. Now, Seth and I have been in the same circles for a long time. We've been friends or quasi friends, I'd say, um, more than acquaintances, but less than pals for some time. But I learned so much about Seth in this conversation. For example, that he received 800 letters of rejection in one year, that he had to start a company, a publishing company, in order to get a book out once we talk about the concept of genius that genius isn't this thing that's out there in the world or that there it's 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 bestowed on a few few people Seth believes that there is a genius in everyone this totally lands with my belief the concept behind creative Live, for example he he does such a good job of giving you detailed instructions on how to tap into that in yourself and in others we talk a lot about fear uh you know I mentioned rejection earlier but what again Seth does so well is he talks about these concepts in a way that ident- you know we can all all identify with one of the concepts that that he talks about halfway through here that i really think you're going to find a lot of value in is this concept of would they miss you if you were gone when you're thinking about what you're doing on your day-to-day we all want to have impact impact on our close friends maybe impact at work our career our family life and just this simple filter of thinking of it of would they miss you if you were gone I think it it puts a great lens on the the ideas behind this podcast behind Creative Live and I know it's going to add a ton of value to you. But before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education education in photo video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times best-selling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. I, again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class, you get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute, isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible, and in fact, all of my long-standing Chase Jarvis live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than two billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career hobby and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead and I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on CreativeLive and I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com hustle just for you this community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out Uh, as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site and you wanna buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER, that's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R and do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, now, let's get into the show. Again, thank you so much for being here, Seth. Again, welcome. Jace, it's great I to see you. Came to New York to, to be with you, uh, and it was well worth the trip. We've already been visiting off camera a little bit. I'm, uh, as I said in my intro, I've been, been paying attention to what you've been doing for more than a decade. You've been hugely inspirational to me, and millions and bazillions of others. Um, what is your secret?
1: That there is no secret. That's the best part. You know, the, uh, when we think about things that are impossible, that's what revolutions do is they enable the impossible. They destroy things that are perfect. The record industry was perfect. The travel agency business was perfect. The stock photography industry was perfect. And then something impossible comes along. And we can look at that and say, well, there's no hope. Or we can say, how interesting. What an opportunity to fail, to explore, to figure out what happens next. And we can persist as we go. There's no secret. There's no uh, mountain that you need to climb where someone's gonna whisper in your ear and tell you the right answer. The, the right truth. answer is
0: there is no right answer. That's beautiful. And I do feel like the time, I guess, is it, is it every time is now or is now actually special?
1: You know, there's this perception thing we've got. Are you happy? Well, If somebody who grew up in Borelli, India was in your shoes, you could bet they'd be delirious with the tools. If someone who lived under the last king of France saw the resources that even the poorest among us have access to, they'd be delirious. Happiness is a point of view. Now is a point of view. You can say, I need to wait till all my ducks in a row. But the thing I say to people is, well, when you get that duck, what are you gonna do with it? And we have our ducks. They might not all be in a perfect row, But the best way to be where you want to be a year from now and 10 years from now is to do something today that you'll be glad you did. It's powerful medicine. Um, So
0: I love something that you said in a talk. Uh, I don't remember the talk, so forgive me. You'll probably know, but it's not important. The point that's important is you said the person who invented the ship also invented the shipwreck. There you go. And... You know, you know our audience well—the people who are paying attention to this show, to my, me personally, to Creative Live. Um, it's people who are aspiring to be more creative and more entrepreneur in their life. Um, sometimes that's in career, sometimes it's in hobby, um, but they know they want to sort of tap into a thing that's been a little bit elusive for them. Or, you know, for the people who are on that path, are trying to hone those skills. But there's a there's two schools of people: some who are just trying to start, go from zero to one, and there's a bunch of people who are started or on the path and they want to sort of like go to the next level. So. When uh, I, th- I know that for me, and I've corresponded with our audience for years and, and, and in some cases maybe a, as much as a decade, and there is a fear about the next step. Yeah. So for the person who invented the ship, they also invented the shipwreck. What would you tell me? Because I'm, I'm always interested in being enlightened by you, sir. And, but, but more importantly, the audience at home, like what's,
1: what's the advice on playing through that sort of fear on the next step? You called the series 30 Days of Genius, and at some level you're trying to flatter me, but that's not really what genius means. And Liz Gilbert has talked about this. Genius is an ancient term for the voice in our head that is capable of doing something for the first time. That's capable of being generous, it's capable of being original. And our job is to let the genius out. You aren't a genius, we are all carrying genius. So let's call it 30 days of genius because every single person watching this also has genius. Now the challenge with letting the genius out is it might not work. And that expression, it might not work, is super hard to say out loud. I say it out loud all the time because the fear cannot be defeated. The fear will not go away. The fear is hardwired into us for good reason. Yeah, literally DNA survival. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, we're just mistaken. Because you had a reason to be afraid during the Spanish Inquisition. And you have a reason to be afraid of a baseball bat flying into the stands. So your amygdala is activated, your lizard brain goes into defensive mode. But if you have to give a presentation at work or speak to your kid's third grade class, you're afraid, why? What's gonna happen exactly? Nothing. So we have all this false fear. Now, you can, paralyze yourself trying to make it go away you can read everything and study everything and be sure you're right that's exhausting
0: the other thing you can
1: do is you can dance with it and if you dance with the fear and say oh it's a compass it's giving me a hint that i'm on to something and i'm doing something that might not work so here's where the the magic of our age kicks in the cost of being a photographer today, compared to what it cost Ansel Adams to be a photographer, the cost of being a published writer today—cost in time and effort and risk—compared to what it took Ernest Hemingway to be a writer, there's no comparison. So what we get to do is keep playing, and if you get to keep playing, you know, imagine—I grew up in Buffalo where there're bowling leagues, right? And one of the drivers of bowling is you got to pay by the game. So I only got three games. I got to be careful with my roles. Well, what would happen if you had unlimited bowling? If you had unlimited bowling, you could practice different shots. You could practice different approaches. Don't worry about it. We're not keeping score. That's where we live now, unlimited bowling. And <laughs> so we got to decide, are we just constantly trying to get it just right down the center, which is boring and isn't going to get us anywhere? Or do we have the guts to say, you know, this might not work but I'm gonna persistently and consistently and generously bring it forward. So that's like the first pillar that anyone who thinks of themselves as a creative has to acknowledge. That if you're asking for a guarantee, you're in the wrong line. There, there certainly are no
0: guarantees in creativity. Uh, it's messy. Uh, it's sometimes painful. But one of the things that I felt like you just hit the head squarely on, which is that, you know, I also espouse that there's a genius in all of us. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Michael Mead. Um, the, the idea that, that it's really about uncovering that um, place inside you or the voice. And some people call it intuition. You can call it genius. Um, what are some specific mechanisms for unlocking that? Yes, we've got unlimited bowling. Is your prescription that it's really unlimited bowling, that in order to unlock it, what you have to do is try a lot of things? Or how would you, that's me putting words in your mouth, but you, you you tell me, Like, how should we think about the actual act of tapping into that? Because that's what people want. If there's a genius in all of us, I'm like, does anyone not want their genius? No one raises their hand there. Everyone's like, I want my genius.
1: Yeah, those people are lying. Okay. Uh, I think we can acknowledge that most people are are talented. So if you're talented and you're making banal work, why is that? It's not that you don't know how to do something that's worth noting. It's that you don't want to. Why don't you want to? Because it's afraid. Because you're afraid. Because it might not work. Because you'll be criticized. Because you'll lose followers. So if you look at how most people spend their time online, they spend their time online doing social media grooming to make sure that they're in sync, that, that they're safe, that they're in the center. And that when uh, we get a one-star review on Amazon for something we did, we rush to read the one-star review. I've never met an author who said, I read all my one-star reviews and now I'm a better writer. So I stopped reading my reviews, five, one, all of them. I stopped reading four years ago. Nothing bad has happened to me by reading zero. It doesn't make my work better for me to hear anonymous people tell me I don't know what I'm doing. But we seek it out. Yeah, we do. So that's strange. No, I don't think most people actually want to do that kind of creative work. And I can tell based on the way they spend their time. So I refuse to give people tips and tactics, because that's just one more way to hide. I'm using the same pencil as Stephen King. I, I looked at the I have a Moleskine. I have my Go bag, set up just like I learned on Lifehacker, blah, 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 blah. None of those things matter matter at all. They're just side effects of what someone who figured out how to deal with what Steve Pressfield calls the resistance, how to deal with it, and everyone's gonna deal with it differently. I'm more interested in teaching you something else, how to see. If you can see the world as it is and not the way you want it to be, Letting your genius out becomes a 1,000 times easier. So for me, the expensive lesson was uh, in 92 and 93, I had something you didn't have that none one here had. I had access to the internet. There was no World Wide Web then. It was Archie and Veronica, and the pipe to my office cost $400 a month. And I was doing, you know, I was a writer. I had a freelance writer, and I worked at Book Packager, and I saw this thing, and I said, I know, I'll make a book about it because that's what I did. That was my hammer, this was a nail. That same period of time, two guys in California, David and Jerry, saw what I saw, and they made a website called Yahoo. And at its peak, it was worth $80 billion. So my half would have been worth 40. It cost me $40 billion to be wearing the wrong glasses, (laughs) right? But once you learn to see with fresh eyes and say, wait, 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 here's this new platform, I can overwhelm it with generosity, I'm not going to worry about the business model, I'm going to worry about touching people. Well, the next thing you know, you have 5 million Instagram followers. And the people who are waiting for a guarantee, waiting for Instagram for dummies to come out, waiting for the tips and the tactics, once again left in the dust complaining because they didn't want to get on the ship because there might be a shipwreck. So I think if you find yourself taking notes instead of being present, for example, you're hiding. No one takes notes on a date. They're present. So don't take notes during a creative live course because that's not what's being taught. You can go back and watch it again. What's being taught is can you feel it here? Can you reconnect to what that genius feels like? That's available, right? When I was coming up in the book business, the first year, I got 800 rejection letters in a row. 800? 800. I sold my first book the first day, and then I got 800 rejections, which meant that every day three or four letters with a stamp came to my house that said, we don't like you, we don't trust you, we don't think you have very much talent, we don't want to give you any money, go away. They didn't say any of those (laughs) things, but that's what I thought they said. (laughs) That's what you read, right? If there had been an internet, I would have said fine and published to the world, right? No one could stop me. Well, now we live in this world where you don't need to be picked. And you said one thing in your very kind intro that I've written all these New York Times bestsellers. I haven't written a New York Times bestseller in a while because the New York Times bestseller list is a scam and I refuse to participate in it. So I'd rather write a book that people want to read as opposed to write something that pleases certain people that gets certain things done that makes the New York Times decide it should be on some list. Because I don't want to be picked by them. So I'm saying out loud, don't pick me, you're a scam. And that frees me up. To do what I want, to do what I need to do, not get hung up on seeing the world the way it used to be. Wow, that was a rant, but I got plenty of rants. But, uh,
0: but that's literally why I'm so happy to be sitting down with you. Is because your what, what your rant, how your rants differ from others, is they have a kernel of wisdom that is a mile wide and a thousand miles deep. Thank you. The the I was actually sort of reliving, as you were talking about early internet days, my particular experience, which I like to think is very similar to the experience that a lot of uh, people who self-identify as creative or entrepreneurial, which is this, there's a constant sort of cycle. And it's a conversation, it was a conversation in my head. Um, if I do this and I put it out, what will happen? And there's a million scenarios that go through your head. And what I found out for myself was that that conversation was incredibly toxic. Yep. And what I'm hoping to get through with this interview and others is that what you need to do is is the, the conversation, we have this weird part of our brain that tells us that this is a helpful conversation, that this is what thinking is. Exactly. And the reality is that it's toxic as hell and uh, we need to sort of stay away from it. Is your answer to that narrative, that false story that we're telling ourselves, is it just making, is it doing? Like what, what, is, what is the answer? I mean, I'm, I'm extracting that from what you just said about get on the boat. Um, instead of taking notes, be present. Instead of judging, publish.
1: Am I oversimplifying the message? Or? So in, uh, I moved to New York City in 86, 87. And sooner after I got here, there was this crackling in my ears. And if I did this certain thing with my jaw, I would hear this crackling. And so I went to the ear, nose, and throat specialist and I said, this is what I'm doing. He said, take this sinus medicine. And it made me fall asleep, so I stopped taking it. And two weeks later, I went back and said, it's really bothering me. Every time I go like this, I hear this crackling. And the guy said, don't go like that. Uh, And I can make the crackling (laughs) come back now. I just did it. So I stopped going like that and the crackling went away. The thing is, we go to that place so that we can hide. And I think there's a different question we can ask, not what will happen. The key question is, what is it for? This meeting I'm going to, what is it for? This photo I'm taking, what is it for? This thing I'm putting in the world, what is it for? And then if we can say, well, it might not work, but if it does work, will I be glad I did it? And if it doesn't work, do I have enough in the bank, in air quotes, to keep doing this? Because if we can acknowledge what it's for, we can focus on why we're doing anything. And that framing of saying, what I do is connect people, elevate people, give them a smile, get picked by a gallery, make a living, whatever it is. Oh, am I a professional who is doing this in a way that the work matches what the work is for? So if you tell me that you want to be a world famous architect and then you show me your plans. And I say, well, these are fine plans for a single family house in Cleveland, but show me another architect who has followed the path you're trying to follow. This work you're doing that you say is for X is actually for Y. So get yourself in alignment. And the sooner we can understand what it's for and decide that what it's for is important enough that we're willing to fail along the way we can stop having that other toxic conversation anytime we want to stop the crackling in our ears.
0: <laughs> I, I love that your prescriptions are so simple.
1: It's just, But hard, just, hard, hard to do. I, I know,
0: that's my point is, is uh, <clears throat> for those folks that are out there, you're, you're listening to a genius drop knowledge in a way that I don't want you to feel intimidated, but the reality, this is the, the thing that I've learned from reading Seth, is that there is all kinds of vitality and possibility in what you say. The, the ability to stop moving your jaw like that so that you stop the crackling. Is, I think the best word for me was alignment. Is really, I, what I learned for me it was a choice. Right. And there's uh, a lot of narratives that I came to believe about myself and the, the art that I wanted to make versus what I was actually making that the, the narrative was a false narrative and as soon as I allowed myself through uh, some painful self-discovery like why are you doing this what is it that you want to do with your art that it was almost overnight that I felt sort of set free and the way Brene Brown someone I adore uh, she keeps a list She's about, she, she goes like this, she's like, oh, keep a list, it's about this long, I keep it in my wallet. And these are the, it's the, on, on this list is, is the people that I truly care what they think of me. And if you're not on this list, or you haven't been in the arena as someone who's put themselves out there over and over and over again,
1: I don't care what you have to say. And it's really hard to live that life. So if someone comes and says, I got a million Twitter followers. And my response is, but how many of them have an opinion that matters? Are you actually doing it to get famous? Why? And a lot of people you've crossed paths, with, who I've crossed paths, with, are on this path to just get more famous. And if you probe and say, but what is it for, right? Is it, can you eat more fancy restaurant dinners? Will it get you an even better table than you have now? What, why, if, it, if we didn't have a number, If the number was just hidden from the universe, you couldn't make the number go up. But just because you can see the number, is this something that we need to go up? So I want to shift gears and go a little bit further, which is the, the truth is... I love truth. That most of the people who are watching this, and you and I, in many of the things that we endeavor to do, we're just not that good at it. And it's a mistake to fool yourself into thinking you're as good at songwriting as Bob Dylan. And you're as good at rapping as Malcolm Moore. And you're as good, so I get emails all the time. Please don't send me email, I get too much email. <laughs> but I get email from people who say, I can't make a thing of this, look at this work I do, it's awesome, why can't, why aren't I more popular? Well, number one, we haven't understood what it's for and why you want to be more popular. But number two, because you're not that good. And you could be good, but you haven't put in the 10,000 hours or the 1,000 hours or the blood and the sweat and the tears to actually be good at it. So if you go back to my blog post from 10 years ago, more than half of them are way below average. It took a long time to blog like me, yes. right? But a lot of people blog six times and they say, why don't I have a million followers? And so what I'm getting at here is we are living in the most crowded creative universe in history. There aren't three TV networks, there's a billion. There aren't you know, 10 record labels, there's a billion. So you're not entitled to any attention. You're not entitled to any leverage. But if you dig ever deeper in the stuff that truly matters, you may earn some attention. Do you decide what matters or do you leave it
0: up to the people at home to decide what matters for them?
1: Oh yeah, it's, I'm not in charge of what's remarkable, I'm not in charge of what's important, I'm not in charge of what matters. For sure, I have no say in this. But you've talked to so many people and what are common things that people say that matter to
0: them? Like if, if there's, there's a survey course as a part of your uh, Alt-MBA and you're standing up there teaching and you're saying, here's some of the things that I hear that matter. You've certainly heard a lot of this. Oh yeah. What, what are things that matter? Well. Um, And these can be you know, we can either you can throw them out there we can debunk them or you can say these things actually do matter
1: I just want to hear from you What matters? I think the simplest answer is would they miss you if you were gone? I? Don't know who they are and I don't know what gone means But those people that you're seeking to have an impact on would they miss you if you didn't show up tomorrow would they miss you if this new product this new project didn't come to the world or you have to just do that whole hustle dance, look at me, look at me, jump up and down, offer a limited time, blah, 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 to game it so that they'll actually transact with you. That work doesn't feel like it matters to me. That feels like you're just trying to make a living. Transient. Right? Yeah. Which is okay. Everyone needs to make a living. You probably should have a job. But if you want to have this vocation, as Liz Gilbert says, if you want to have this arc to your work, then it surely helps to be missed if you were gone. So that's the definition for me of permission marketing. If, you're, if that email you were gonna send to 10,000 people tomorrow, if it didn't go out, how many of the 10,000 people would say, where's the email? And if the answer is none, then you don't have permission. You're just being tolerated. So I would like to think that if I didn't blog tomorrow, more than 10 people would send me an email saying where's your blog, right? Did you get hit by a bus, what happened? Exactly, <laughs> that, that if you stopped creating the courses that you're creating, I'm guessing some people would show up and say, hey, Chase, where is it? That's what it means to matter, to be missed when you are gone.
0: Very tight definition. So
1: let's talk, uh, uh,
0: you the gears and saying, I wanna shift gears and and explore, a pull on this thread a little bit more. One of the ways that you would be missed when you were gone is that you stand out because there's the landscape and I see it, it feels relatively homogenous. There's a lot of beige out there. And then on the horizon, there's this purple thing. Exactly. And my eyes or one's eyes or the marketplace or however you wanna, again, I don't know who one is or they or marketplace, but if the marketplace looks at you and you look different than everything else, then there is some attention that's thrown on you. Is that enough or do you need to like- Yeah, my cl-
1: take on it's a little different. Okay. Uh, My take on Um, it for those of
0: you who don't know I'm referencing a book of his called the purple cow correct, sorry keep going
1: No, it's good Um, My take on it is it's really easy to be the guy who wears a plaid suit to a funeral It's really easy to do that thing that people notice. That's not Remarkable the way I use the phrase remarkable means someone thinks it's worth making a remark about and if someone remarks about the thing the word spreads not because you are spamming the world but because people are talking to each other the challenge if we're going to be creative is what do we want them to say if we want them to say what a jerk he's wearing plaid to a funeral go ahead wear a plaid to a funeral but if we want them to say you need to see this it will transform you if we want them to say can you believe how generous that act was? We've, we want them to say, this, this is th- the new fresh thing, then go build that. So, too often, people say, whoa, we just made this cool commercial for our ketchup. It's, a rem- it's for a purple cow. No, actually it's not. It's just a commercial, right? That, that people aren't going to talk about it because it elevates them and their standing. They're gonna talk about it because it's like, you know, watching a one-armed paper hanger, it's a thing, but it's not something we would miss, it's a sideshow. So the challenge that we have to make art that will last, and I use the word art very carefully here, is we have to be serious enough about the process that we're proud of what we made, and we did it in a way that the kind of person that we care about, like Bernays List, tells someone else.
0: That's a straight, extrapolation of the idea virus. Is it not? Another one of your 18 books. Well, so the the idea virus, which
1: is free online if anyone wants to, to share it, said ideas that spread win. Now, like any disease in epidemiology that follow, they follow a vector. They don't infect everyone. No one has ever been infected by a disease across the whole planet. So you figure out which vector you want. Napster didn't really spread in nursing homes. Napster spread on college campuses for a reason. You needed high-speed internet access and you had to be interested in new music plus you, you had to have a lot of friends or and a lack of money probably. Right. So none of those things were true at nursing homes they were true in a college campus. So we can architect what we build to build sharing into it. I like to say the following rhetorical question. First person who had a fax machine, what did he do with it? Not much. Right. Can't use a fax it's machine like a if you can't language, share it. Totally useless. <laughs> so how can you build art that doesn't work unless you share it. So the the most recent book I did, I published myself. Why? Because- What to do when it's your turn. Thank you. And the idea of your turn is, I will refuse to sell you one copy. If you buy one, I send you two. If you buy three, I send you five. If you buy 96, I send you 120. Why? Because I wrote it so you would share it, so that the people around you would be on the same page as you. It turns out, If you give someone a book, it feels totally different than if they go to a bookstore and choose to buy a book. The gift of a book is a magical thing that changes the conversation. So that's part of the remarkability I'm trying to build into my work, is it works better if your colleagues know the phrase purple cow. It works better if they can hold you accountable because you've all understood the same concepts. So let's talk about
0: architecture for a second, because you referenced it architecting Arcs architecting the sharing part of it for the folks at home who are thinking about their next project or is is it wrong to architect something that doesn't involve sharing because is that how is that the best way to sort of make it or is there are are there two different sides to the same coin which is there a side where you're private and you're polishing and you're honing Mm -hmm. and and is there another side where you're Publishing and sharing and architecting and deciding what you want it to be like to
1: to encounter you or your brand or your work It's a great question. So my thesis stolen from Michael Schrag is that? Anything worth doing is worth doing because you changed someone else That if we don't make a change happen What did we do right so that change could be lots of things if we're going to talk about brands Harley-Davidson is a multi-billion dollar brand why because they change disrespected outsiders into revered insiders. And for the people who have had that transformation happen to them, Harley-Davidson is priceless. That's the change. Will, yes, they will do anything for it. Right? Yeah. Apple computer, we could replace everything Apple makes with something else, except that Apple changes people into people who have good taste about digital goods. That's their arc. That's the change they make. They keep trying to escalate what it means to have good taste. So, this change is sometimes amplified if your idea spreads. It's sometimes amplified if you create the dynamic of the fax machine, the purple cow. But you don't have to do it that way. Let's say you're a playwright, and your goal is to change the people who come to your play into people who are able to think more deeply, say, about gay rights. So the Laramie Project succeeded, because if you went to that play, you were transformed changed by words and someone reading them. That was all it was, but it worked. It made a change happen. Now the byproduct is you and I have heard of the play, the word spread, but the word spread isn't the point. That's just a tactic that amplifies the point. The point is, can you make a change happen? So
0: is work that's made without change or that, that
1: from which change does not result? <clears throat> Is that failed work? Well, I don't know how to use the what to talk about when, I say, when you say work. So Starbucks, Howard Schultz. Let's talk about independent artists. Independent artists instead, okay. If you are going to make a merely pleasant song and you are going to define success as I made some royalties from it, I would say you're making a living but I'm not ready to say you're making art. Mm. That for it to be art, it has to be something that might not work. Might not work, by my definition, means it didn't change anyone. That yes, we need to play some music in the elevator and maybe someone will give you a royalty check to play the, in the music machine, but you didn't change anything. So don't call yourself an artist in that moment. You are a piano player. That's different than being an artist. Uh-huh. So Jackson Pollock had a brother and his brother's name was Charles. And Charles Pollock painted just like Thomas Hart Benton. Thomas Hart Benton, super important artist in the 1920s, was their, both of their teachers. Mm. So Charles was a painter, he just copied Thomas Hart Benton. Jackson Pollock was an artist because he changed us. That's my distinction. Whoa.
0: So intention, what role does intention play in that?
1: Right, because if you don't have an intention, then you can't fail, right? I'm saying you better have the intention. You better be able to say at least to yourself, this is the change I'm trying to make. And if it happens, then you can declare victory. And if it doesn't happen, you can declare non-victory. But either way, you can go make the next thing. Go back to work.
0: Okay, let's take it out of the very theoretical and talk about something very tactical or tangible, rather. And that's you. So... I think the folks out there are very familiar with your work. There's always a curiosity about the man or woman behind the work. Um, And tell us a little bit about what you're reading right now, what's inspiring you, um, realizing that we're all different, and inspiration can come from a lot of places, but I I just have a sneaking hunch that the world wants to know. What what are you listening to? What are you reading? Um,
1: How are you spending your time right now? Um, You know, I've had... 15 crises over the last 20 years where I get stuck and think I can't do another one of those. I need to go this way or this way. And over time, partly through meditation, just partly through getting older, I'm willing to sit with it way longer than I used to be able to. It used to be, if it was more than six hours, get itchy. I was six hours was my max. <laughs> Gotta go on to the next thing because I'm gonna fail. Now I can sit with it and look and, and breathe and say. You know what, Uh, diving into the obvious next thing is probably a form of hiding. So uh, I'm in one of those stages. I'm really thinking hard about education. I wrote a 35,000 word book that's free on the internet called Stop Stealing Dreams a few years ago about how our education system which gave us so much is now fundamentally and completely broken and that parents have forgotten to ask the question, what is it for? What is school for? This class, what is it for? Why are we teaching this thing at all? Uh, this, this standardized test, what is it for? This sticker on the back of my car that says, I'm paying $250,000 for my student to go to a famous college, why? What are we trying to produce here? So that was, that was a rant that led to uh, a smaller rant, which led to some of the courses I'm building, but for me, the most, dir- you know, I, if, I, if I look at a photo and I look deeply and I'm changed by it, that's a miracle. But the most direct tactical form of change, we call education. We say, will you enroll in this process? And the word enrollment, we can talk about for an hour, this word enrollment of, are you volunteering to let me change you in a way you are asking to be changed is so different then walking up to a stranger on the street and say, let's do calculus. Yeah, stranger just, I didn't sign up for that. right? And then when we say, will you change, can we change? Change to what? Change in which direction? And for me, I think the highest leverage thing is to change people into people who believe to have a genius, into people who believe that they're able to change other people, into people who can see the world as it is and who want to and know how to cause these changes to happen, to influence others to make the change happen going forward. That's heavy,
0: in the the, the right way. Education is something obviously deeply passionate to me, that's the basis of the foundation of creative live. I've said on hundreds of stages, if not more, that if our parents had one job, we will have five and the next generation will have five at the same time. And so we're living in an era where the existing infrastructure on education, specifically higher education, I'm really not all that focused on K through 12. I think we can talk about the foundations of schooling. We'll talk about that in a second. But I look around and I see people fundamentally unprepared for the world that we live in and scrambling to sort of find not just meaning, but the ability to to plug into the world. And it'd be like the equivalent of be hiring someone to come work at your business and not giving them any training, and just like throwing them out into the world, which is largely what we're asking the world to do when we don't provide an educational infrastructure. So I looked at Creative Live and said, "Well, what are the good things about education?" And I said, "Well, you got people who know what they're talking about, and you got people who want to learn." There's a communication between those two entities and there's this also this other one which is uh, the, the students can communicate with other students. Yep. That was what's working. I think learning isn't broken. Education is broken. So what about learning? Can we lift and drop into a scalable model? And how can we take the people that are at one end of that pipe and, and provide them massive access, transparency access, and how can you pick at the other end of that pipe, not just someone who knows something about that, but the best people in the world so that's the foundation of Creative Live. Right. What about the educational system pisses you off, and what is what, what are we at Creative Live, and what are you at Alt MBA doing well?
1: Okay. So uh, my two sons went through public school, so I saw it firsthand. I'm a public school kid too. I love public school. Uh, public school is a key part of our culture. Uh, But what's broken about it is it was invented by industrialists for industrialists. You can read the history. It's fascinating. I won't go into too much detail. But basically, if you want compliant factory workers, it helps if you start with a six-year-old and teach them to sit in a dark room, sitting still, taking notes for eight hours. Do that for 12 years, and by the time you get your hands on them, they will follow instructions. But we don't need that anymore. We need the opposite the, that. The standardized test was invented because there was an emergency in the 1920s, and the guy who invented it disowned it. And there was such a backlash on them losing the tool that they, he lost his job as president of the university for daring to say that standardized tests were stupid, the thing he invented. That this command and control model of saying, I'm at the front of the room. You must obey me. This model that says school is for lectures is stupid. Sal Khan is perfectly pointed out, we should do lectures at night, we should watch the best person in the world teach at the class, and do homework during the day when someone can engage with us, right? It makes so much more sense. So there's all these challenges, but for me, if you talk to someone, my friend Peter was in the Peace Corps in 1969, 1975, something like that. He can still tell you everything that happened. And I say, but Peter, the year before, remember that course you took at that class? He has no recollection. Because the Peace Corps is he did something and a lecture or something was done to him. So the Alt-MBA that I built, we have no lectures whatsoever. There are no videos, there is no secret content, zero. That's a discipline we have. It is not open to large numbers of people. It's only for 200 people at a time. It doesn't happen asynchronously at your convenience, it happens in sync with all these people around the world, in sync, in a Slack room, in a workshop setting, and it's all about projects. 14 projects in 28 days. So because I don't need a lot of people, I can be picky. It can be expensive. I can have people apply. I can have coaches. We can have stuff. All of it is architected to do only one thing, to use every tool and lever I've got to get people thirsty enough to go find the 10,000 lectures that are already online. I don't need to give them another one. And so we don't have a content problem. We don't have a scarcity of smart people talking at us. What we have is hearing problems. We're choosing not to listen because we're afraid. Those people that you're talking about who are stressed, they're stressed because they're fighting hard to get back to the old days. When will we go back to normal? When can we go back to this time that I will get picked? Someone will tell me what to do and it will be steady. And so too many millennials are trapped now because the only jobs that are like that are baristas. And I love baristas, but that's not a career. And don't do that just because it feels like what you got trained for. Instead, take a deep breath, realize that day is gone, and figure out how you could look forward to the insecurity and uncertainty of this might not work.
0: It's, I think it's fascinating that everything comes back to this might not work. And there's the ability, and you also mentioned meditation. There's so many things I want to go. I'm trying to put a pin in like three things right now. Um, meditation, something it's a practice that I've you know, talked very publicly about. Game changer for me, because it made me be okay with uncertainty and sort of being in the moment, like, oh, this is what fear feels like, as opposed to trying to respond to it. I'm gonna kick myself out of this fear state so I can do X, Y, Z, just right. like, okay. And then you realize all of a sudden they're like, okay, that, that's it? Like, really? Okay, now I can get back to work. Um, but instead of going down the meditation path, I want to keep harping on this education thing. Okay. So, uh, I also stand on stages all over the world and talk about the factory and the farm, two things that the educational system is based on. The farm being, you, the reason we have summers off in school is literally so you can go pick the crops. That's not how people learn. You don't stop learning well in the summer. Um, it's very much a, a babysitting mechanism as well. Uh, we gotta go, the, the school is, and then go, go work in the fields. The factory part is fascinating to me. Um, as you said, the, the raw material goes in one end and then everyone moves through the system regardless of ability or interest or um, regardless of many other things. At the same rate, theoretically learning or being force-fed the same thing. And if it's
1: defective, we reprocess. Yes,
0: and if, yeah, oh, we have an error in the system, put it back, and, and so you're continuing to move this thing. And at the end, the goal of a factory is to make like items. Yes, exactly. And the more efficient a factory is, if, if it lacks efficiency, then it's basically broken because it doesn't defi- that, that falls out of the definition of what a factory is. And so we have this situation before us where we're, we're asking our culture to be innovative. The word innovation and creativity get thrown out so willy-nilly, and yet we don't actually have a system that's one fraction of as innovative as required to produce the goods that we're asking for.
1: Well, we do have a system, but the parents refuse to use it. Mm. And the system is- You're going right where I wanna go. The system is parents need to say to their kids, straight A isn't the point. Interesting is the point. Parents need to say to their kids, what project are you leading? They need to say to their kids, what problem have you solved that's never been solved before? That until you do that, you're not allowed to do your homework. it's parents who mean well yes. who don't have the guts to say to their kid do what you're passionate about as long as you're good at it. Yeah, it's more I don't and good, care aren't. about getting into a famous college because all the data is really clear. Famous colleges are overrated and deliver very little other than high school with more binge drinking. And we have this other alternative. But parents are going to have to lead this before schools get the message. So it's...
0: This is, uh, I think, very curious to me that the, I always put the onus on the student and you in this conversation here have put the onus on the parent. Maybe it's because we're thinking about different times in education. I'm right. thinking about continuing because I pretty much look at the current system of K-12 and say, whoa, someone else can try and address that one. That's, that's a big deal because there is the... the right, if you're, if
1: you're 30, it's too late for your parents to help you, right? <laughs> By the time you're 30, it's on you. For so, sure.
0: So, just for the for the sake of this conversation, the sake of our audience, let's assume that it's not K through twelve, right? Or that you're not fourteen. And if you are, kudos to you for reaching out and looking for alternative ways to learn. But let's just say you you are an adult, a young adult, right? Um, or uh, an older adult, and you're looking for some sort of continuation. And that I think that's a good place for us to restart that conversation because. Take the onus off of the parents and now put it in the individual. So right. you had great crystal clear advice. Parents, this is how you have to think about it. What is, this, what
1: is your analogous advice you'd give to the individual? So what I say to an individual is, where are you being generous? Completely selfless and generous. So that an organization or a person you care about is changed for the better. Can you do that again and again and again? Because once that is what your goal is, the stakes feel different. Because now it's not your job, now it's your avocation, now it could even be your hobby. That if you can model that behavior without second guessing yourself, you can go somewhere. So I strongly urge people to have a blog, a daily blog. You don't even have to put your name on it. If every single day you blog a point of view, something you see, an assertion, your brain will act differently within two weeks. Because you're going to be thinking about what you want to say tomorrow and after you've done it for six weeks you can look at what you said six weeks ago this act of public journaling is risk-free all the rational parts of your brain understand nothing bad can happen to you from doing it but you'll still find yourself in a rut because you've realized if you do the safe thing if you do the listicle if you do you might get some traffic it might get picked up that feels like a win it's not a win because you haven't changed anyone you haven't moved the ball forward so I can't tell you precisely what narrative will help you undo, in a bootstrapping way, your own narrative, but we know it's possible. I, my, the sport of choice for me is skate skiing. I love skate skiing. You may have seen it in the Olympics. Oh, I'm there. very familiar with that. It's so to so work. I took <laughs> I took one lesson that totally changed it for me. From a guy who uh, was an Olympic uh, ski jumper. Ski jumper, and Matt said, listen, Seth, the entire sport, the whole thing, is that the person who leans forward the most wins. And I said, but Matt, what if you lean forward too much? And heels aren't connected to those He said, you fall on your face. That's it. That's the entire sport. Person who leans forward the most wins, but the person who leans forward too much falls on their face. So if you want to be good at skate skiing, you have to be prepared to fall on your face. It's the only way to be good at skate skiing is to be prepared to do that. So when we think about you've, by showing up here today, you've decided you you wanna be seen as a quote creative, that you want to have this practice. Well, it comes with lots of fun treats and toys and happiness, but there's a cost. And the cost is it might not work. And if you can't buy into that, you need to find a way to trick yourself to buy into that because I can't solve your problem by saying, here's a way to do it that will work. I have no idea how to do it and have it work. You wake up every morning. Most days. <laughs> Haven't missed one yet.
0: <laughs> We're excited that you uh, woke up this morning. How do you face the day? What do you do?
1: Well, uh, 1977, 17 years old, I decided. Facing the day didn't feel right. So instead, I view it as an opportunity. I have not hit the snooze button once since 1977. The snooze button is an anathema to me. That part of what I have tried to do with my work is create a life where I bound out of bed, eager because I get another chance for unlimited bowling.
0: That is beautifully put. You've bound out of bed now. Do you go to create, do you go straight? Is there some sort of, is unlimited, does unlimited bowling look to you like producing work? Or are other, well, other. Do I
1: have a practice? Yes. I'm not gonna tell you what it is cause it doesn't matter. Fair enough. I mean, people love to talk about their practice and stuff. I'm not superstitious about it. I just think it's a great way to hide, to use my practice. Cause it's my practice.
0: Would you encourage
1: others to have their own practice? Is it How can you not have a practice? That's, right? That's that, it, that when if you go in for surgery, you would like the surgeon, you'd like her to do things exactly the same way every time. Wouldn't you? Yeah, because right? it means she's practiced. Exactly. <laughs> that there's this method that's like, oh wait, I forgot to wash my hands. No, you Where's want that there, scalpel again. You oh, want there to inside. be a method. And it turns out plenty of data. There isn't a method that's demonstrably better than another method. I mean, there is in the surgical theater, but in general, if you're, you know, Bob Dylan does things completely differently from Taylor Swift, completely. There's nothing in common other than they produce an artifact that means something to people. And they think of it as a practice
0: because it's it's theirs. The, The, I think the desire to receive prescriptive information is, is, Uh, maybe never been hired because right right now because we have access to And it
1: hurts my ability to reach a larger audience. That if I wrote the stuff that there's a big demand for, I would reach more, I would reach way more people. It's not on my list of things to do.
0: But having a methodology or having a system
1: is. Well, it's something I need to do to do my work. That's part. But I don't think the details of it like, Life Hacker is a really good way for me to waste half an hour. I love reading about standing desks that do this, or that do this, and <laughs> stand on this. You know, but it. But that's, that's just entertainment. That's not at the core of what we need to do.
0: All right, let's go back to the Alt-MBA, because it, I think it's a remarkable concept. Having you know, been a part of, with, you know, 120 other talented people built Creative Live. I know how it is to build education and that what's existing out there and the, the existing paradigms largely don't work. What was the basis for you wanting to do that?
1: Well, so I'm on the record with this rant about education. So I went and uh, did a couple courses with Skillshare. They worked really well, among the most popular I've ever had. Skillshare changed their business model. I switched to Udemy. Those were a, a huge hit and I felt good about what I made. And then I look at the numbers 48% of the people finish the course, which happens to be 10 times the standard and 20 times most courses. But half the people left, even though the thing's only, you know, this course four hours, right? where do they go? What's going on? Well, then I realized what happens is, when education gets hard, which is the only time education works, because easy education doesn't work, when education gets hard, most people leave unless there's a significant social pressure. So it's really awkward to drop out of Princeton. You gotta d- disappoint a whole bunch of people. You're an expert on dropping out. You know, <laughs> know yes. how many people you have to Passionate disappoint. An expert at disappointing people. The cost of dropping out of a $19 e-course, $19. And the course of dropping out of a free MOOC is zero. So I said, what would happen if I broke every rule of massive courses and did the opposite? Could I actually use that freedom to create, to architect a world where I could transform people. And so we're hundreds of students in, and I can tell you we have a 98% completion rate, and we have transformed every person. And I have never done a project where that was true. Never have I put something into the world that changed people the way this changes people. And it's thrilling to me. And you know, people say, well, you're self-selecting. Damn straight, so does Harvard. Right. So The idea is if you get enrollment from people who want to go on this journey, you're way more likely to have the journey work. So what I'm trying to do is say scaling early isn't the goal. The goal is to be good. The goal is to be worth it. The goal is to be missed if you didn't do it. And that gives you the freedom to take your time and scale slowly if you scale at all. And if no person ever again signs up for the Alt NBA, I am fine with it, because I didn't build a giant building. I don't have a giant team. I don't have investors. I'm just saying I made this. It might not work. Want to try? And if people try it and it works, I'm thrilled. That's not dissimilar to the to the, the backstory
0: for creating Creative Live as well. That when looking at the marketplace of again having sort of mediocre teachers who actually didn't know what they're talking about, they weren't world class performers in their particular discipline. Um, the it was very very intentional to create something that was free so you could come in and sniff it. You know, you give books away for free all the time. That was the idea behind the freemium model. We can engage a lot of people, and many people, if you don't have resources, you can still get in and have all the same experience. You have sure. it free and complete it and get all of the benefit. And we find that people who are low on resources have a, this incredible it's success true. rate with creative Live. And the flip side of that is we actually made our classes. They are the most expensive. Of any uh, open platform, uh, they're not behind a paywall. If you want to own this thing, and you choose to pay for it. But it's the average class is a hundred dollars, versus some of the other platforms where it's nineteen ninety nine or uh, there's a particular you mentioned Skillshare, thirty three cents a month. <laughs> like they're <laughs> like, right, but and for the person who wants that, it's a, it's perfect for sure.
1: It's just a different thing. It's absolutely for sure.
0: The thing that I'm I'm trying to say that that. that In valuing, you were talking about self-selecting, there in price point is one way of selecting the people who are willing to to lean into the the product that you're building. Um, Regardless of the economics of online learning, what do you feel like is the future there of of continuing education? What's the future?
1: Well, So here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, There is clearly a higher education bubble. It is clearly going to burst, but it is going to burst slowly. And the way it's going to be birth slowly is going to be nibbled to death by people like you and me, that around the edges, if we can just train people to become curious and thirsty, the number of other things they can learn is so big, they don't have to pay a quarter of a million dollars for certification, because the, like every course that MIT teaches is free or about to be free. So what's the quarter million dollars for? It's for the piece of paper, the proof. So what's going to happen bit by bit, the way the Internet usually does things, is you're going to be able to create a body of work that lets the employer know you're worth hiring. Now, it's not as convenient as the MIT certificate, but it's actually going to be more powerful. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's just a- going to take a while, but... That's, I think, the future. And so we're gonna see more and more free stuff. We're gonna see more and more expensive stuff. We're gonna see networks built, guilds. Like in the middle ages, the guild was everything. So if I had more energy, I'd build a guild and say, here are 5,000 people. We spend three hours a day training. We're all networked with each other. Hire one of us, you hire all of us. And we put our reputation on each one of these 5,000 people. What would that be worth? That would be worth easy $3,000 a month for every one of those people, right? That's a huge industry by itself, but if you actually pick the right 5,000 people, that would be worth more than any diploma. So I'm focused on creative
0: education, not just because I, my background is as a, as a, air quote, creative, and that I, just, I believe in photography, design, entrepreneurship. Yes, all those things are true, but I believe in creativity with a capital C. Yep. And it underpins a solution to every problem, global warming, world hunger, water crisis, and we need to think about it as a, a creative solution to whatever, what, whatever problem there might be. The, um, the challenge that I see with the internet, uh, sorry, with, with traditional education is this reliance on paper and they talk about, oh, the value of the certificate is so great, it's so great. I espouse, I didn't know you had this belief walking into this uh, conversation today, that one of the, what I love about creativity with the small c, and why I like to apply that—that's what, what Creative Live is doing—is because it requires it's a portfolio system, right? Where you are hired and fired on the basis of your work. People who know you trust you because they there is a sort of relationship in, in place. And knowing that I have again stood on stages all over the world, knowing that you're in that same camp, I like that. It's refreshing to me. But I personally have no doubt that the, the education of the future or the hiring of people in the future, it looks less and less like where'd you go to school and what piece of paper, and you had more and more, what have you built, who did you work with, who did you work for, and what will they say about you? Yes, but there's
1: a... Yeah, a I'm a, waiting for a, the end. No, there's not an and. there's a caveat. Okay. Most of the people who we're teaching right now, who, who are listening to this thing, would not hire themselves that if you had to pick someone in the world to do the thing that you do, you'd find someone better than you. So we've changed the stakes and we have to be really clear about that. It used to be, if you went to Rhode Island School of Design and you got through it, you had this huge head start on people. The head starts are gone. Yes. So when you think about it, you know, when, when someone says, I'm a freelancer and my primary asset is my relationship with my clients. Well, if I went and asked your clients, which of all the freelancers you've worked with is off the charts with the relationship, would they actually pick this person, right? That when someone says, I'm able to use light and color to create photographs to create an indelible uh, image in people's heads. Well, if I talk to the people who've seen it, are you really off the charts? So we're, what I'm saying is, yes, this institution is crumbling, but that puts a huge onus on people to be honest with themselves about the craft. That you're not going to get away with the craft being what it used to be just because we could find you. And you know, I gave a talk uh, two weeks ago to the people who make all the imprinted items in the country, like pens and oh water God. bottles and things like that. It's a huge industry. There's 50,000, 100,000 people who do this for a living. Ninety percent of them have a big, thick catalog. They all have the same catalog and the same price list. And you go to them and they say, yeah, I have these water bottles, which one do you want? That used to be a really important value add because there was no internet. But now there's the internet, sort by price. I'll take this water bottle, I'm done. 10% of the people actually engage with you, help you find a thing you never would have thought of, deliver the thing that's off the charts. They're taking huge emotional risks as they do their work. The other 90% are sitting there thinking they're in the 10%. They're not, they just have a catalog. So sometimes people throw things at me when I'm on stage because my argument is I didn't wish for the world to change, but it did. Now that the world has changed, don't get frustrated because people are doing exactly what you do, shopping around, sorting by price, buying commodities, because that's what we do when we're given the choice. So if you want to be treated as a non-commodity, act like a non-commodity. No one is a commodity if they don't want to be.
0: That is incredibly advice. Thank you very much. Unfortunately for, for the folks at home, I need to wrap it up because I promise to be respectful of your time. I'm out of time, okay. But what I want to know is there's certainly something that I forgot to ask you. And you are a great judge of what a great interview looks and feels like. So if I gave you, you were an amazing speaker. If I gave you the stage, what, what, what would be a final point that you would
1: share? Well, I think you teed up so many good topics and it was a privilege to, to talk to you for an hour. Thank you very um, much. So the, the first thing I got to say, is don't send me email, okay? Sometimes <laughs> I don't say that clearly enough. Don't send me email. Second thing I want to say is this. We have created this platform where people can take their turn and they're responsible for what they do. Not their boss's fault, not their parents' fault. They're responsible for what they do. You could be more generous. You could lead people to a place they want to go. You could weave a network that connects the disconnected. You can see people who are disrespected and treat them with respect. You can bring dignity to people who deserve it. All those things are available to you. That's my mission, is to help people understand not someone else's job to do those things. It's our job to do those things. And we shouldn't do them tomorrow. We should do them today. That is maybe the best end of an interview
0: ever. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Super grateful. My pleasure. Folks at home, you just got uh, an hour and change with someone who's changed my life. I know that he will change George the more you pay attention to the work he does. Thank you so much for tuning in. And stick around. We'll have another episode for you soon. Thanks again, Seth. Appreciate it. Go and do. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, Subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.